We are in a passage this morning where Jesus is giving instructions to the apostles as he sends them out on their missionary journey. Four weeks ago, we were in this passage and we saw that Jesus was sharing with them his extraordinary power and authority. In verse 1, it reads, And having summoned his twelve disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. They must have been elated at hearing this good news. What kind of authority and power was being given to them? It was rather startling and amazing. They had not yet been able to perform these miracles that from henceforth they are going to be able to conduct. And so they must have been excited. They must have been exuberant. They must have felt as though the world was at their feet. Even the demons were going to be subject to them. How much better could ministry be than to be given this kind of authority and power? They must have been excited and optimistic. And so what comes next is a shock. Jesus moves from what they are to do to what they are to experience, what they are to look out for. And Jesus now is going to reveal to them that persecution and suffering awaits them. On one hand, it should not have been a shock to hear about this coming persecution. For Jesus had already warned them about persecution in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. It reads, Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. Again in verse 44, But I say unto you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus had already talked about persecution, but it was not yet a part of their experience. They had not yet suffered at the hands of anyone. Jesus himself had yet not suffered real persecution at this point in his ministry. He received some opposition from the Pharisees, but for the most part, the disciples were impervious to it. So they knew this intellectually, but it was far from their experience. And I think that in that way, there's much that we have in common with the disciples. For we read in the scriptures time and time again about persecution, but yet we live in a country that really is devoid of persecution. We don't really have to fear in gathering together this morning and naming the name of Christ. We're not putting our lives at risk. We don't have to fear being jailed at the end of this service. And no one is going to physically attack us 
for our having gathered together and worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what happens is these passages become a bit surreal. We know them intellectually, but yet how do we relate to them practically? Well, that is a situation that's rather unique to us as Americans, for there are many places around the globe this morning that people are being persecuted. There are places where individuals are dying for their faith. Brother Herzog sent out some emails this very week about people that are living in areas where ISIS is now taking over villages and towns. And Christian children are being beheaded if they will not renounce the name of Jesus Christ. That's real. That is happening around the world. But again, it's foreign to us as Americans. As a result of it being foreign to us, there has become a growing amount of false teaching concerning persecution. There is false comfort that is being offered to us. There are false conclusions that are being reached concerning our not suffering persecution. For example, it is taught if you simply love others, you will never suffer persecution. Love conquers all. Just really, devoutly, sincerely love people and you'll never have to fear their anger, their resentment, their bitterness, or their hatred. But Jesus loved supremely. And he suffered persecution. Or the idea that God will spare the righteous persecution. If you live a godly life, if you're really consecrated, devoted, sincere in your relationship to Jesus Christ and you keep yourself pure and you pray and you are devout, you will not suffer persecution. Well, there is no one more pure, more holy, more devout, more sincere than the Lord Jesus Christ and he suffered persecution. Or, if the church would just be more of the church, if we would be a people that are doers of good deeds, if we put our actions to where our thoughts are, if we do good to our brothers, if we show them kindness and mercy, seek to alleviate their pain, their suffering, feed the the starving, give money to the poor, and just are a doer of good deeds, then you will not suffer persecution. Jesus 
was a doer of good deeds. Jesus fed the multitudes. He healed the people of their diseases. And yet they persecuted Jesus. And he said, for which of these works do you oppose me? Those are all false thoughts concerning being spared from persecution. In fact, Jesus teaches quite differently about persecution. And I think this morning we might be a bit surprised by looking at what the scriptures actually say about persecution. Because we have been misled in many different respects. So this morning, we want to note that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Sheep in the midst of wolves. Wolves have sheep for lunch. Wolves devour sheep. And he said, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So how are the apostles to respond? Answer, they are to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Look at Matthew 10, 16. So be wise as serpents and innocence as doves. That is, they are to be wise, they are to be cunning, they are to be aware, they are to be on the lookout, they are to be knowledgeable about persecution. But they are not to be aggressive, they are not to be combative, and they are not to be defensive. Sheep have no claws. Sheep cannot tear into their adversaries with their teeth. Sheep are defenseless. Sheep have to rely upon their shepherd. And he says, I send you out as sheep among wolves. So our key verse this morning is Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. And the theme is Jesus teaches his disciples concerning the persecution that they will encounter. Jesus teaches his disciples concerning the persecution that they will encounter. First note with me the source of persecution. Where is this persecution going to come from? First, they will suffer at the hands of religious authorities. Verse 17. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in the synagogues. It will be first in the synagogues, that they are going to experience this persecution. It will be the religious leaders that are going to reject the ministry of the apostles. It is the religious leaders that are going to oppose what the apostles are teaching. There are many, many religions around this world that are dramatically opposed to Christianity. We have mentioned this morning uh, ISIS a number of times. It is a rather extreme uh, Islamic faith and movement, 
and they abhor Christianity, and they want to stomp it out. They want to conquer it. But not only are they going to suffer at the hands of religious authorities, they're also going to suffer at the hands of civil authorities. Verse 18. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings. It will be civil governments that are going to be the source of opposition and persecution. There have been many, many governments that have been the source of religious persecution. In our history, we think of the Puritan movement in England. England at the time was a Catholic nation, and it was against the law to have the services that the the Puritans had. And as a result, they were persecuted. Many were put to death. Many suffered. Many were in jail. And you think of Paul Bunyan, uh, John Bunyan, uh, John Bunyan. Paul Bunyan was the, yeah, he was the woodsman, yes. He had babe the ox. I know who Paul Bunyan is, yes, all right. John Bunyan, yes. He's the one who wrote Pilgrim's Progress from jail because it was illegal. And it was the basis of people coming to America and seeking to have a religion that was not fostered by the state because they understood how often it is that the state persecutes religious freedom. And then thirdly, which is the most amazing, I think, is that they will suffer at the hands of family members and friends. Look at verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death. The father, his child, children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Can you imagine that? But there are people that are experiencing that today. There are people that know that. And yet we're taught in America that if you love God, all your children are going to love God. You love God and your family is just going to be one happy group of people that are going to worship God forever and ever. This passage says that's not the case. And look at Matthew 10, 34. This kind of blows things out of the water. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against mother-in-law And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Think about that. For people to have an allegiance to Jesus Christ is going to alienate even unbelieving family members. Some of you know to a limited extent the hostility, the cold shoulder, the turn off that you experience from some family members as a result of your own personal faith. And there may be some people today that are estranged 
Maybe they have a parent that won't talk to them. Maybe they have a family member that wants nothing to do with them or that laughs at them or ridicules them. Jesus says, don't be surprised by that. For our love for Christ is greater than our love even for our family. Notice Matthew 10, 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. When we get to those passages, I will delve into that in much more depth than I am this morning. My point is that persecution is going to come at the hands of all types of people. Verse 22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. By all. Not by every. But by all. By all types of people. By all groups of people. Persecution is going to be widespread. And it is going to be intense. Widespread and intense. And just how real was this for the apostles? Answer, every single apostle except for John died for his faith. Every single apostle was martyred except for John. And he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. He was imprisoned, if you will, for his faith on the Isle of Patmos. This was real. And it's real in many parts of the world. And it could be real for us. That's what we need to think about. It could be real for us. So what is the reason for the persecution? What is it that people are opposing? The answer is, it is Jesus. They are opposing Jesus. In the book of Peter, it tells us that we are not to suffer as evildoers. There is some opposition to Christianity that's deserved. When we act in an appropriate fashion, when we are not conducting ourselves as we should, people may resent us, people may in fact hate us, and in fact that is deserved. But then there is this undeserved opposition simply for our true and sincere adherence to Jesus. In this passage, it is that adherence to Jesus that is being addressed. Notice verse 18. You'll be dragged before governors and kings, now these words, for my sake. Look at verse 22. And you'll be hated for, by all, now these words, for my name's sake. And then verse 25. By implication, it is for the master's sake. It is because they are disciples of Jesus that they will be persecuted. For verse 25 says, it is enough for the disciples to be like his teacher 
and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those who are of his household? Jesus teaches that when the disciples are being persecuted, it is actually Jesus that is being persecuted. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 9. You can keep your finger here. Acts chapter 9. And I'm going to start reading verse 1. But Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Now notice these words. Why are you persecuting me? Jesus appears to Saul, who is going to become Paul, on the road to Damascus, and doesn't say, why are you persecuting my church? Or why are you persecuting my disciples? He said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? And that is at the very heart of what persecution is all about. It's opposition to Jesus. It's not opposition to us. It's opposition to him. It's in our identification with Jesus that persecution comes. So persecution is first and foremost a rejection of Jesus. What I want to do now is focus on the response to persecution. The response to persecution. First, we're not to be surprised by persecution. Jesus gives us ample warning. Jesus gives us supreme example. And history gives us a clear picture of the persecuted church. We shouldn't be surprised by persecution. Secondly, we are to be helped in time of persecution. Matthew 10, 19. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. Why? For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaks through you. There is to be comfort, for we will be helped in time of persecution. There will be special, divine help given to us. And that help comes in two forms. For it says that we are not to be anxious, verse 19, concerning what you are to say, or 
how you are to speak. What's the difference? Well, first, you're not to be concerned about how you're to speak. We're not to worry about, are we going to be able to bear witness for Jesus Christ? Don't worry about it. At that time, God will give you the ability. Don't search your heart. Sin's odd. Don't search your heart. Don't ask yourself, is my faith strong enough? Because if you're honest this morning, your answer would have to be, no, it's not. No, it's not. Peter, when told that he was going to deny the Lord, he said, I'll never deny you. I'm willing to die for you. And of course, he ends up denying the Lord three times. It is the Spirit of God that will enable us. It is the Spirit of Christ that will cause us to stand in that day. Rely upon him for the power to speak. And not only the power to speak, but the words to speak. What we are to say. It's a great comfort. Now comes a statement that I'm going to really dwell on this morning because Quite frankly, I just think it's ignored. It's a statement I think that once I start unpacking this, I think it's going to really kind of come as a shock to you. What is our response to be to persecution? Here's a verse to circle. Because, quite frankly, it just stands against so much of what American theology is all about. Look at verse 23. When they persecute you in one town, notice the next words. Flee to the next. Listen to this. We are to seek to avoid persecution. Let me say that again. We are to seek to avoid persecution. We are to run from persecution. We're not to seek it out. And we're not even told to abide under it. We are told to Flee it. Why? Isn't that cowardly? Doesn't that stand in the face of everything we believe as Christians? And the answer is no. Here is where we're to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. We're not to be combatant But we're not to be naive and simple either. We are to flee it. Why? 
Why are we to flee it? First, for our fleeing is a judgment against those who persecute Christians. Let me say this again. Our fleeing is a judgment against those who persecute Christians. Notice Matthew 10, 13, and 14, where we were four weeks ago. And if the house is worthy, this is how the apostles were to respond to those that uh, accepted and those who rejected the gospel. Verse 13. If the house is worthy, let your greeting of peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your greeting of peace return to you. And whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, as you go out of that house or that city, shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. If they're not going to receive you, just leave. Now, these are people that just don't receive, not people who persecute. How much more those who persecute? I've got a lot of different scriptures, so just listen carefully to this morning. You don't have to turn there. Acts chapter 13. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of that district. But they shook the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with joy at being persecuted. Why? Because God's will was being accomplished. And they simply shook off the dust of their feet, which is the passage before us, as a statement of judgment against them. They were not worthy to hear the word of God. This is consistent with the scripture, does not stand in the face of, of Scripture. Jesus himself refused to minister among people that were seeking to persecute him. I could list a lot of different passages here. Here's one to illustrate the point. John chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Jesus went to Galilee. He would not go to Judea. Why? Because they were seeking to kill him. Now think with me for a moment. Did Jesus have to be afraid of them? Could they have harmed Jesus? Could they have done anything to Jesus? And the answer, of course, is no. His hour had not yet come. No man took his life from him. When it says that he would not walk among them, it is not because he feared them. It was his judgment. In rejecting him, he rejected them. And he would not minister among them 
because they were seeking to kill him. Secondly, persecution, second reason we are to flee persecution. Persecution is an impetus that God uses to spread the gospel. Where are we to go with the gospel? To whom does God send us? And the answer is that we are to take the gospel to a people that are receiving it. Matthew 10, 23. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. When they persecute you in one town, go to another town. For I say, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. That second half there, you will not go through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. What does that mean? There are, uh, the commentators are all over the place on this thing. Because it sounds like Jesus is saying, you're not going to even exhaust the towns of Israel before I come. And then people are saying, well, well did he not come? And, and all these other things. People, I, I think it's really pretty simple. Jesus says, you're not going to take the gospel to everyone before I come. Now, how does that fit with the book of Revelation that says that there are going to be people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation? Answer, it doesn't say that they're all going to be from the same generation. They're all going to be from the same era. That is going to be, there are going to be people in heaven from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. But that covers centuries. That covers millennia. There are places today where there's no gospel witness where there was a gospel witness. There were a people that were redeemed and saved out of that group that later turned their back on and rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, in his judgment, takes away the witness from them. There are many people today that are ignoring God's judgment and trying to take the gospel to a people that he has rejected. You say, well, how do you know who that is? Are they persecuting Christians or not? Persecution is a means that God uses to spread the gospel. To take it where he wants it to go. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 8, starting with verse 1. Acts 8 1. Got to really move here. I've got a lot and I'm running out of time. 
bad thing about being away for four weeks. I've got a whole lot of stuff to say. Acts 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution, that is, of Stephen's. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were among them men of Cyprus and Cyrene who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. But you notice how the church spread as a result of persecution. Fleeing persecution, which Jesus told them to do, was taking the gospel elsewhere. Notice Acts chapter 9, verse 22. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by providing that that Jesus is the Christ. And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. And they were also watching the gates day and night so they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. I preached through Acts I've read commentaries that question this decision of Paul to flee this persecution. Asking, was he early in his faith? Was he, was he not yet this, this mature statesman that he was? The answer is, he was following the scriptures. He was doing what God told him to do. Flee persecution. And we see it time and time again in the life of Paul, where He appeals to Caesar. He takes every avenue available to him to avoid persecution. But, we are to seek to avoid persecution by fleeing those who persecute us, not by disassociating ourselves from Jesus. That's important. We don't flee persecution by being silent. We don't flee persecution by failing to name the name of Jesus. Paul never stopped associating with Jesus. It just moved him from town to town. But he kept on naming the name of Jesus. Are there any exceptions to the rule? Are there any times in which Jesus is going to have us not flee persecution? I would say to you, yes, but they are rare. Here's where we need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Acts 20, 22. Paul's testimony. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, 
constrained by the Spirit. I think the NAS translates that bound by the Spirit. Meaning, he has no choice. This is what God wants him to do. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know not I know that uh, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Turn with me to Acts 21, verse 7. Acts 21, 7. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, We arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philippi the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed there. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When he heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went to Jerusalem. There... He knows he's going to be persecuted. He knows he's going to be imprisoned. He knows he's going to be afflicted, but he goes anywhere. Why? Because of the chapter before, he has a revelation from God. God says, that's where I want you to go. And he's faithful. And he goes. But if you put it in balance with the entire book of Acts, it's a rarity. For the most part, Paul goes from town to town fleeing persecution. God may, in fact, call someone to go to a place where there is persecution. But I submit to you, it should be rare. It's not normative. And it's not about fear And it's not even about self-preservation. It's about the purpose of God, which is twofold. Judgment against those who reject Christ and the divine means that he uses to spread the gospel to where he wants it to go. We are to seek to avoid persecution by fleeing those who persecute us, not by disassociating ourselves from Jesus. When we go elsewhere because of persecution, the word often flourishes in that new region. We have the historical account of Acts, 
how it says that the gospel spread and how many people came to faith as a result of the persecution. But we also have the lessons even from our own nation. You think about the founding of this country, especially in the north. You think about the Massachusetts Bay Colony, pilgrims. Why did these people come to America? They were fleeing religious persecution. They were coming from England and Denmark as a result of the persecution that they were under. I mentioned how the Puritans were being put to death and imprisoned in England. So Puritans came to America to flee persecution. And the gospel spread. And it flourished. And we became known as a Christian nation. And we lived in a society, we lived lived in a country where our motto is, in God we trust. Where we openly speak of Jesus Christ. And as a result, have known incredible religious freedom and blessing. But we also have a nation that's starting to turn its back on Jesus Christ. And yes, persecution may come. And if it does, and it shouldn't surprise us, we shouldn't throw up our hands and say, oh my, how could God allow this to happen to us? For he tells us it's going to happen. But rather than wring our hands, this passage tells us that we're to embrace it. Embrace it in what way? Flee it. Flee it. For two reasons. Number one, it's God's judgment. When people so persecute, not the church, Jesus, he removes from them the gospel witness. And it might be that he just wants to take the gospel somewhere else. So we never disassociate ourselves from Jesus. But we might disassociate ourselves from our job. Or the place where we live. And move on. To where we're not persecuted. And then thirdly, our response is to be to be fearless. We're not to be afraid of persecution. And I'm devoting a whole sermon to that. That's next Sunday. Why we're not to fear persecution. But this morning, 
It is embrace it. Embrace it. Why? It's God's judgment and the way that he spreads the gospel. Food for thought. Maybe, just maybe, we ought to rethink the way we view closed countries in the light of a sovereign God and what he says about fleeing persecution. Maybe we have some strategies that make sense humanly but are difficult to support scripturally. Jesus said, flee persecution. Let's pray. Our Father, help us this morning to love you, to serve you, not to be afraid, not to disassociate ourselves from you, but Lord, help us to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Give us wisdom to know how to respond and give us a passivity that we are not combatant We are not aggressive. We don't seek the harm or the death of those that would persecute us. But Lord, may we flee. Teach us. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.